Heritage family, it is so great to be with you this weekend. Whether you are joining us from your home or perhaps you're watching us on TV and WQAD or online in one of our online uh, worship experiences, I want you to know that we are so grateful that you are here. You know, as a church, we are committed. We are passionate about connecting people to God, to each other, into their purpose. And everything we do this weekend will be done with that goal in mind. In fact, I'm standing today in our lobby of our Rock Island campus, and I want to invite you, perhaps you've been checking us out online or on TV for a number of weeks now, I want to just personally invite you to come be a part of uh, one of our in-person gatherings that we host here at our Rock Island campus every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. You know, there is something special, something sacred that happens when we gather together. And yes, we have, you know, proper social distancing protocols and best practices in place, but there is something special that happens when we are together and we worship corporately. And so I want to invite you, if you haven't checked that out, or maybe you're just kind of been on the edge, to maybe take the jump and come and join us uh, in person uh, in a weekend here soon. You can get more information at heritageqc.com. I invite you to go check that out. But, but one thing as a church that we get really excited about is life change. We love when we see people encounter Jesus and their lives are different. And in fact, this week we had an opportunity to gather as one church together at Bridgepoint to celebrate alongside men and women and children who stepped into the waters of baptism, declaring that they are free to live, that their lives have been forever changed because of Jesus. And you see, those moments never get old. And so today, as we jump into worship together, we do so with a, a heart of gratitude, celebrating what our God is doing, but also with a prayer that our God will even begin to transform us as we worship together today. So let's lift our voices, let's lift our hands, and let's worship Jesus together. i 
it puts me in the fire I'll rejoice cause you're there too I won't be formed by feelings I hold fast to what is true If the cross brings transformation You can hang me there with you death is just the doorway
You know, one of the things I love about connecting with God in nature is the reminder of how great He is and how small I am. But there are times when that can actually feel really overwhelming, where I wonder if He really does see all that's going on in my life, in my mind, in my heart, the challenges that I'm facing. My guess is that you have some of those same moments. The reality is, in the scriptures, throughout them, we see God as the God who sees us. In fact, in Genesis chapter 16, there's a moment where a woman is sent away from her home. She's forgotten and cast aside, kind of told to live on the margins. And she wonders if anyone actually sees her in that desert place. And then she has an encounter with the living God so powerful, she gives him the name El Roy, the God who sees. And he is El Roy for each of us. So right now, wherever you are, whatever you're facing, I invite you, let's go before the throne of God together and lay before him those places where we are hopeful that he sees and ask him to give us confidence that he does. So would you pray with me? Elroy, we trust that you are the God who sees us. And we ask you to reveal yourself in that way right now, today. Remind us that you see our getting up and our going out. Remind us that you see the hidden parts of our lives, the struggles, the opportunities, the circumstances that we face. And then Lord, give us courage, knowing you are the God who sees and is active, to lay them before you and to trust you 
as only you can be trusted. So go before us, lead us in the way we should go and remind us that you see us, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, amen.
everybody. Welcome to week two of our journey in the book of Jonah. Last week, I introduced you to Phineas because this little guy is helping us in our study of the story of Jonah, which may be a familiar story for many of you, but it's also a bit surprising. It's the story of a man who runs from his purpose, the story of a community pursued by God, and a people who find hope. It's more than a story about a fish. It's more than a fish story. It's really an invitation to understand and to experience what it means to encounter God in any dynamic and to allow Him to lead us into new possibilities. But in order for that to happen, He needs our attention and He wants our attention so that He can accomplish His purpose through His power. But we get to decide if we're going to give that attention. It it actually matters how we respond to him. It matters what we do in any given dynamic because we can actually become somebody he can work through or we can be somebody he has to work in spite of. And last week, we dove into that conversation just a bit. And you can find that online at heritageqc.com under the watch tab. But one of the things that we leaned into last week was an understanding that every earthly dynamic holds divine opportunity. Every earthly dynamic holds divine opportunity. So that means every circumstance, whether it's good or bad, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, holds a divine opportunity for something more or for something better. And how we respond, what we give our attention to, matters in that equation. Now, it sounds good that something can be better or something can be more in our life, but the question comes, how does that all work? And the good news is that the story of Jonah helps answer that. In fact, gives us some practical things to apply in our lives. And I want to put in your headspace five words that'll show up in our journey with Jonah that'll help you and I as we seek to live into the more or to the better of what God has for us. Those five words are simply this, do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. Over and over in the book of Jonah was an opportunity for people, individuals, to step into doing the next right thing. That next right thing was an act of obedience, a a space of faithfulness. Uh, The next right thing could just be to step in a loving action. The opportunity we have to live into the next right thing leads to something more, something better. In fact, many of us, that right next thing is the key to experiencing that greater reality for us in our life, in our relationship with God. So with that in mind, let's get back to the story of Jonah. See, last time we saw Jonah, he was in the Mediterranean Sea. This is after God had come to him and given him a task of going to Nineveh and preaching, going to a place to call those people to faithfulness. But instead of giving his attention to that task, he shifted his attention to running out of fear or desperation or or even just disappointment out of the dynamic. And in that process, he ends up in a space struggling in a downward spiral. He goes down to the port city of Joppa. He goes down into the bottom of a boat. He ends up going down into the water and he will shortly end up going down in the belly of a fish because he's in a downward spiral. And what's important to understand for us as we begin this conversation today is that anytime any of us, anytime any of us run from God or reject what he says, we end up in a spin. And Jonah would continue in this spin in a downward journey until he would do the next right thing until he would go down on his knees in prayer. And that's where we're picking up his story. 
So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn with me to the book of Jonah. It's in the back half of the Old Testament, if you're flipping through. It's just a small, short book of 48 verses, and it's easy to miss. So if you get to Micah, Nahum, or Habakkuk, you've gone a bit too far. We're in Jonah. We're going to end up in Jonah chapter 2, but we're going to actually start in the last part of chapter 1, verse 17. Because it's in this moment where we left Jonah, about to be swallowed by a fish. And he's in a space where he begins to remember some things, several things. And those things lead him out of a downward spiral and into an upward journey. So here we go. This is actually chapter 1, verse 17, which interestingly enough, for those of you who maybe consider yourself Bible geeks, verse 17 in the Hebrew text is chapter, or verse 1 in chapter 2. But in the English Bibles that we're reading, it's verse 17 at the very end of chapter 1. That's where we're starting. Here's what it says. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So in this moment, God provides a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and he's there three days, three nights. Now, I realize in this season, in this year, it has been pretty complicated. There has been a lot of difficulties. Even things that are unpredictable and volatile have made this season hard. But can we agree that spending three days and three nights hanging out in the belly of a fish, 72 hours would be no picnic. I'm not trying to diminish anything you or I face in this season, but to sit in a dark, wet, cramped, and kind of gross space would be no fun. 72 hours. Now, I know that if we sit in a clean bathtub and in that water for 7.2 minutes, we turn wrinkly and pruney. And to sit for 72 hours in the belly of a fish, no bueno, would not be good. But let me just give a caveat to this because we don't actually know what kind of fish this was. Some people say it was a type of whale. Others believe it was a type of large fish that was known as a sea dog in this time period which is kind of interesting because the Hebrew word for fish is dog. But we actually don't know what kind of fish it was. I think it's helpful to think in terms of a whale. But before any of you get the idea to email me this week and to clarify, to make sure I understand that a whale is not a fish, that it's a mammal, don't worry, I already know that. But that Hebrew word dog actually speaks to sea creatures and would include something like a whale. So although we don't know what kind of fish it was, what we actually do know, what we know for sure, for certain, is that God prepared a fish, a big fish, and invited that fish to be part of of accomplishing his purpose. So regardless if it's a whale, a sea dog, or some special creature that God made just for this moment, this is actually something that happened. It's not hypothetical. It's not fiction. Jesus himself referred to this moment in his journey here on earth. This is something that transpired, and it's something that in Jonah's world became a moment where he had the ability or the opportunity to have undivided, focused attention, specifically in prayer. So let's take a look at that prayer because we find it in chapter 2 of Jonah. Flip over there. Here we go. This is verse 1 of chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. So he's praying in the midst of a process. This thing is not over. It's not resolved. It is still ongoing. And I don't know how many times Jonah prayed in this journey over three days and three nights. But the last prayer he prays in this dynamic is what we're about to read. Verse two, he said, I, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help 
and you listened to my cry. I love the way that Jonah is both speaking about God and to God. I don't know if he's talking to himself or talking to the whale. If he's talking to the whale, it kind of reminds me of Finding Nemo and Dory and her interactions with whales. But he's talking about, but also to God. He speaks of he and he speaks of you in that this is a turning point moment of a downward spiral to an upward journey because the reality is he has been rescued. Rescue has already taken place. Now you may say, wait a second, Sean, he's not on shore, he's still in a fish. Absolutely. Nothing is quite yet resolved. He still has the mission ahead of him. He still has the complexity of his rebellion. Absolutely. But hear me, he has been rescued. The fish was rescue, not punishment. The fish was a space of grace. And quite honestly, in our journey, sometimes rescue comes from places we don't expect. Sometimes the rescue that God provides can be totally unexpected. But when it comes, don't resist it. And in that space, if we're willing to do the next right thing, then the circumstances around it don't matter because God brings his power to bear for his purpose. Jonah is about to experience that, but he's going to recount the journey a bit more. Verse 3, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. He's describing a difficult space. He's describing the storm, the, the waves, but he's also describing a relational fracture, a, a relational dynamic. Verse 4, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. It's fascinating to me that the biggest issue for Jonah is the separation he has from God. The guy who was not long before this running from God now remembers that he is nothing apart from God. And he's recounting the journey. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. This is a dire dynamic without God. But, Jonah says, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit in a fish. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Catch that Jonah's rescue is rooted in relationship, the restoration of relationship. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Verse 9, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. That's a recommitment. I will say salvation comes from the Lord, for me, for you, for us. And verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. My friends, this is a prayer of thanks and not a prayer for rescue. That's a very important distinction to make and understand. Jonah was already rescued. The fish was rescue. It was rescued not just from the water, and it wasn't from the storm that was taking place earlier. The storm had stopped. It was really even more rescue from himself, from Jonah himself. God could have chosen a lot of different ways to rescue Jonah, but he chose this way because he knew that he could get Jonah's attention and remind him of what he already knew. But if you just pause for a moment and set aside the fish and the storm and, and the, the divine moments leading up to this point and think about what got him to focus. What caused him to snap out of his fear, out of his dread, even out of his pride, to refocus his heart, his mind, and his soul on God, really to reach a place of peace and contentment even though his circumstances had not changed. 
He's, he's still in the fish. But again, this is a prayer of thankfulness for being rescued, not a prayer asking for rescue. He's, he's not asking. He's actually recounting. He's not in control of his dynamic, but he is now in relationship with the one who is in control. And he's able and he's positioned to do the next right thing so that his downward journey turns into an upward journey. You know, I think it's pretty safe to say that Jonah didn't have a whole lot to do in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. He didn't have an iPad, didn't have Wi-Fi, didn't have a smartphone to help pass the time. But again, God always uses his power for his purpose. So this fishy refuge was a space for his purpose. Again, I don't know how many times Jonah prayed in that 72 hours or what he did for 70 plus hours before this moment where we can read the prayer he offered. But what we do know is that at the end of all of that time, he prayed a prayer of praise. It was not about him. It was not even about his circumstances. It was about the divine power of a loving God who creates opportunities for his purpose. See, here's the thing. Prayers rooted in worship lead to peace. Prayers rooted in worship lead to peace. Whenever, and whenever we pray, whenever our prayers are anchored in our praise, that is just a pathway by which we can experience peace regardless of circumstances. That peace is a, a state of being at rest in who God is being at rest in his presence. Whatever level of provision he's deciding to give or not, whatever he's doing or not doing, we can experience peace. It's a serenity at the end of resistance, a place where we are settled in our heart. It's not necessarily the absence of conflict or all the answers provided, but it is a place of calm amidst conflict and a place of calm even without answers. And I think all of us long for more of that places of calm and rest in the presence of God. I think that's especially true when we remember the things we've done along the way, the mistakes we've made, the failures, or even the overt rebellion like Jonah that we have allowed to come up in our lives. Perhaps even the wounds of others have impacted us in a way that leave us feeling like we can never have peace. You have to keep in mind that Nineveh, the place that Jonah was supposed to go, that was an enemy state to Jonah's people. They had not treated Jonah's people well. It was a place potentially of wounds created by others, but still a place of peace. And I tell you again, prayers rooted in worship lead to peace. No matter what circumstance, it, it gives perspective beyond our circumstance and our dynamic for what is in the present, but also what has been in the past. It's a significant understanding for us to embrace the reality of our prayers rooted in worship leading to peace. It's, it's, it's interesting to me as well that in Jonah's prayer, he, he weaves in phrases from the book of Psalms, which, which tells us that Jonah knew God's word by heart. Because again, he didn't have an iPad, didn't have a Bible, didn't have a flashlight in the fish's belly. So he's reciting and recalling words found in the book of Psalms, specifically Psalm 18, Psalm 31, and Psalm 42. These things, the recalling of those truths, help him to remember who God is, and who he was before God, to remember what he had actually forgotten. And one of the interesting things for me about goldfish, besides what we looked at last week around having an attention span of nine seconds, 
and we have an attention span in this season of even a second less than that, is that goldfish have been identified to have a memory, that they have a memory up to three months, that, that Phineas here will remember something three months from now. And I wonder how you do in your memory when it comes to the things of God. See, God wanted Jonah's attention for something great, something miraculous, but he needed Jonah to remember what he already knew first to be able to live into that purpose. Yet in the pressure of the task, in the fear of the dynamic, he forgot who he was and he ended up giving God limited attention. Now, I don't know about you, but I see in Jonah and I have seen in myself that I can want God's attention without giving him mine. I can want God's full attention in my life without actually giving him my attention. In the tyranny of the urgent, in the sorrows and the joys of life, I want God to give me his full attention, yet I can withhold mine toward him. Only give him a portion, if you would. But wanting God's attention without giving him ours is futile. It's pointless to want him to pay attention to us if we aren't willing to direct our attention to him. It never works. It doesn't work out that way. See, God had Jonah's attention in this whole thing. From the point he went to him and invited him on his mission, to the point that he was interacting around the storm while Jonah was in the boat, to the point that he's now in a fish. He had Jonah's attention the whole time. The problem is there were differing levels of attention along the way. When God first went to Jonah, he had a limited amount of attention from Jonah. Enough that Jonah heard, but then Jonah directed his attention to run out of fear, out of disappointment, out of the request. Whatever the reasons were in the moment, he had limited amount of attention. When, when Jonah went into the boat and went down into the bottom of the boat, he limited attention towards God. He was asleep. But then as a storm comes and he wakes up, an attention is starting to return towards God. He begins to understand he's part of the problem. And it grows to the point where he's like, hey guys, I'm the problem. You need to throw me overboard. And now as he sits in a fish, 72 hours in a fish, he withholds nothing of his attention. It's all in for Jonah. He's not resigned to his, to his circumstance. He's released his control in that circumstance because for Jonah, it's no longer about Jonah. It's totally about God. About God who's able to move to work according to his purpose in this world as he brings his power to bear. You know, as I process that reality, I wonder, I wonder what God has in the area of our attention. In fact, specifically, when God has your attention, what does he have? What does he hear? Does he, does he hear ranting? Does he hear footsteps running in the opposite direction? Does, or does he hear praise? When God has your attention, what does he have? Does, does he have someone who's expectant or someone who's resigned? When God has your attention, what does he have or what does he not have? What are you withholding? What access do you not give in a dynamic? Is it a space where you're just acquiescing? Maybe it's a space of limited permissions. God will let you go this far and do these things, but not all the way. It, it's, it's limited. Maybe it's cold compliance. You're God, so I'll do whatever you want. Or perhaps it's collaboration. A space where we align our attention so that he can bring his power to bear for his purpose. Not conditional, but complete. The, the story of Jonah that involves a fish is a story really about letting go and laying hold. 
Jonah said that he feared God. In chapter 1, he, he struggled, but he came back around to acknowledging that he feared God, to acknowledging who he was, even offering to be thrown overboard to solve the problem that the, the men on the ship are facing. And he ends up reorienting the rest of his, his relationship in the fish. And he reaffirms his commitment by the time we get to verse 9 in chapter 2. Despite initially messing up, he walks a journey of incrementally doing the next right thing. And God responds every time he, with his power for his purpose. And I tell you this, he will do the same for you and I. God can speak to a fish and he can speak to you and I if we're willing to give him our attention. So, when God has your attention, what does he have? What does he hear? When you come before him in prayer, what does he have? When you sit to read this, the Bible, to give attention to this, what does he have? What does he not have? When you gather for church, what attention does he have? What in your life is God waiting for you to acknowledge or ask before he brings his power and his peace into your dynamic? If you would just give him your full attention, you would offer to him your praise so that you can experience his peace. He's waiting for us to direct attention before he releases and enables what can be. You and I have, we've been created by him and for him. He has a purpose for each one of us. Does he have your attention today? God could have used a number of different things to help get Jonah's attention, but he did what he did because he knew it would remind Jonah of what he had forgotten. Even Jonah, who had been rebellious and resistant, God wasn't finished with him yet. And he was never out of God's hands. And neither are you and I. He's not finished with you. The question is, does he have your attention fully? Or will it take a fish in your life? Will we give our attention willingly? Or will we create a dynamic where he has to come and take it? My prayer is that you and I, because we get to choose, will choose to give him our attention, to care about the things he cares about, to live into the purposes he calls us to, and not let distractions lead us away in running in any direction, but that we would choose Him and that we would experience His peace as we pray and offer our worship to Him in any circumstance and choose to do the next right thing. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank You, Lord, for all that You have done for us out of Your love for the things that you've asked of us and the things that you have taught us that maybe we have drifted from or forgotten, may you forgive us. But may we live fully into an undivided attention so that we can experience your power for your purpose as we each choose to do the next right thing for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.
darkness you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord, as to let me say, to
Well, thank you for joining us this weekend. We're so grateful that you are here. If you have uh, maybe questions or you're looking for next steps, we really encourage you, get on heritageqc.com. You can find more information out there. And in fact, there's a button there where if you click, it says connect, where you can let us know how we can serve you, maybe ways that we can pray for you in this season. And so listen, Heritage, as we go from this place today, may we go as a people whose eyes are fixed on Jesus, where we're giving him our attention. And let's go be the people that he's created us to be this week. God bless you. We'll see you next time.